You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today we have John Levy, who I've been wanting to talk to for a while. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to, to meet in person. We've, we've kind of been talking through email the last couple of years. Listen to John on Clubhouse. I actually joined and, you know, just talking about how he's had really amazing people that he's met over the years and hosting these incredible dinners, which we'll talk about in a second. He's a founder and host at Influencers, which is a private organization and dining experience dedicated to bringing together exceptional people. He does these really interesting things that nobody else does. Participation begins with an invitation to the influencers dinner, communal meal where 12 guests from different industries participate in an unforgettable evening. Obviously, you know, things are a little different as of this recording, but things are going to open up, you know, eventually. And John actually has a book coming out, which we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. And I'm sure he's working on other cool stuff. We kind of nerded out on, on games before we started as well. So John, first and foremost, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited. And I think you know this. I'm a huge fan of games in general, not just video games, but like all types of games. I gather people just about every other week, actually these days, mostly digitally. And one thing we do is we invent a small game show for about a hundred people to play each time. Wow. Uh, because I think that life is more fun as a scavenger hunt than a to-do list. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if we're going to be playing in life, let's make it a good game. Well, let's talk about that first, right? So scavenger hunt versus to-do list. I mean, you have a knack for getting people to take action and, and do things, which there's a specific reason for that, right? So let's talk about that because obviously we're doing stuff digitally still. So so what are your thoughts behind that? I think it might be helpful for the listeners to understand how the dinners are designed. Let's do that Twelve first. people are invited. They're not allowed to talk about what they do or even give their last name. They cook dinner together. And when they sit down to eat, they get to guess what everybody does. They find out that it's the president of a television network, the editor-in-chief of a major magazine, a Nobel laureate, an eight-time Olympic medalist. And I've hosted over 2,000 people this way across 227 dinners in 10 cities and three countries. So really, it's the largest community of its type in the world. We also have these salons and activities and special events that we host. I've been doing this for about 12 years now. And there's something kind of wild, which is the human brain is wired for novelty, right? It's wired for this experience of seeing something new and responding. There's a section of the brain, in fact, called the SNVTA. It's a major novelty center, and it responds relative to how new or different something is and entices you to explore and understand it. It literally is what gets people out of their homes. So whenever I'm looking to engage or connect with people, one of the things I'd look for is what can I do that's novel or different? that will actually connect or engage with people. My hunch is that if you look at kind of game design in general, if every level of a game were just as difficult as the one before, we'd get bored really fast. Human beings tend to do really well when we're doing something just outside of our skill set. Similarly, we seem to be most engaged when we're doing something that's new and novel, but not so scary and different that it pushes us away but new and novel enough that it entices us and is exciting. Right. So let's dive a little deeper into that too, because when you put something out there that's maybe too challenging, people become demotivated and they lose interest, right? And if it's yeah. too simple, so you have to have the just right, the Goldilocks type of style, style, right? So what's interesting is there's a state known as flow state that's often discussed, which is the state of peak human performance, right? It's where you don't know where the activity ends and you begin. Right? It's everything feels like it's as one. 
And researchers that looked at this state found that when you're doing something that's fully engaging, you lose a sense of self-consciousness. The areas of the brain that are making self-commentary are actually muted. And so if we are failing too much, if it's too difficult, we become very self-conscious and it prevents us from entering the state. And so in general, we want to be pursuing things that are just outside of our skill set. I think one of the problems that we're facing is that everybody wants to be a millionaire tomorrow. Everybody wants to be able to have perfect abs in three weeks. But the fact is that that's not enjoyable for us. If a change occurs too quickly, or if you try to pursue something, it's very demotivating as you fail along the way. And the other side of it is that if you suddenly get put into a state of extreme success, you haven't necessarily developed the skills to know how to handle it so that you can keep it going. There's a brilliant author by the name of Shane Snow. He wrote a book called Smart Cuts. And in it, he explores kind of how to hack a career using like hacker methodology for careers. And the analogy he gives is, do you remember that double rainbow guy? Double, double rainbow. rainbow. No. It's a YouTube video about this guy filming two rainbows at the same time. And it was viewed millions and millions of times. And then he compared the double rainbow guy to Michelle Fan, who is a beauty vlogger who gets millions and millions of views on her videos. And the question is, why did, can Michelle Fan release a video and each one gets millions of views? And this double rainbow guy got a million, millions of views, but couldn't get another video like that. And the reason is, and the comparison he gave is, it's like a jungle gym parallel bars. You know, when you swing from one to the next, you need enough momentum that you can grab onto the next bar. If somebody pull, puts you in in the middle, you're going to be stuck because you don't have the momentum to swing from one to the next. And so the comparison is that you want to be reaching for something that's close enough that you can get to it, but not so far away that you fall. And you want to have enough momentum so you can actually swing from one thing to the next. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And I actually want to back up a second and talk about your background because you're very intentional with what you say and <laughs> how you think about things, right? So it's just, what did you do before doing all this stuff? Well, at the same time, I'm a human behavioral scientist. So I occasionally do research. To be honest, I don't do a ton of it these days. I've done things like the largest study in history on dating. We found weird things like if you have the same initials, you're more than 11% more likely to date. And that's called implicit egotism. Anything that reminds us of ourselves is more appealing or attractive. Got it. And by the way, when you say initials, so like JL, right? That's what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Got it. So if I had a, a met a Julia Lynn, I'd be technically more likely to date her than a Samantha Smith. But I'm not going to date any of them. I'm married. So <laughs> that should eliminate that option. The important thing is that when we understand the mechanics of human behavior, we can actually make better decisions or design better experiences for ourselves. And that's really where my focus has been. It's because I understand these mechanics of what engages people, how the brain will react under specific conditions. I can actually design opportunities to bring people together and have them bond or become better friends. And that's kind of one of the things that I really care about these days. Got it. That makes all the sense in the world, right? Because I just, I'm thinking about all the pressure. When I think about Mr. Beast and his YouTube channel, the, the pressure to have to keep coming up with something new every single time, right? But mm -hmm. you know, with your background, it just makes all the sense. You understand what, what, what makes humans tick, right? So that, oh. that's helpful. So it's interesting. Somebody like a Mr. Beast, clearly brilliant what he's been able to do. 
for your listeners who don't know, Mr. Beast is a YouTuber who essentially is takes large quantities of money and does weird things with it, like buys out an entire store of all their products and then donates it or lets people, anything they can fit in a circle on the ground at a store, they'll give away all the products in that circle or buy it for them. And so I can explain why people react. I can help say, okay, this idea isn't novel enough or creative enough or whatever it is. And here are the elements that might make the difference. But I would never compare myself to somebody, to a creator like him because, or his team, because they have to do this day in and day out. And that is serious effort, right? That's that parallel bars that they keep having to swing between. It's nuts. I mean, like I remember there's a clubhouse room with him and he was talking about how he spent up to $1.3 million on one video and he's typically spending a couple hundred grand and, you know, he'll obsess over like just even one word. Right. And then he'll, they'll have to like completely redo the take. So it's, it's the amount of work that goes into that. Is That's just amazing. That is absolutely incredible. Respect is all yeah. I can say. So yeah, what's interesting is these days, my big focus has been a different side of human behavior. It turns out that back in 1985, and I think you'd get a, you'd find this interesting, the average American had three friends besides family, just about. By 2004, this is before the, before social media really took hold, it was down to two. So within 19 years, the average American lost a close friend. They in fact lost a third of their close friends. Now that's kind of alarming considering the rate has probably increased since. And what's a little concerning is that the greatest predictor of human longevity, like if we're going to live a long time, isn't exercise or clean air. The greatest predictors, number two, and this is after genetics because we can't control our genetics right now. Number two is close ties. And number one is social integration. Like you feel like you're part of a community. And so one of the things that I'm really looking into these days is how do we increase the connections between people? Because if being lonely or feeling disconnected is on par with smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, that's a pretty serious impact on our society. And if we want to become masterful at actually enjoying our life, at being successful, at being healthy, it's probably going to come from our relationships. Got it. And just so we're clear, I mean, I'm wondering from 1985 till, you know, maybe 20 years after that, is there a different definition of close friend versus now because we have social media and all that, right? So this oh, it's interesting question. that you say that. Uh, so it's possible that you refer to a friend. The word friend probably changed due to Facebook, but I'm not sure if there's going to be a significant difference. The biggest explanation I've come across is that it became more and more acceptable to move away from home to go to school and work. And so as a byproduct, people had to lost all their social ties from childhood and then had to reset them. And with every move, you need to reset your social ties. And now if you switch companies and you're all alone at home during a pandemic, you don't really have that many friends and people feel really lonely. And what's interesting about it is that the loneliest people aren't the ones that are the oldest. Gen Zers are report being lonelier than any other generation. Uh, the book that I wrote, You're Invited, is all about how to create connection, trust, and a sense of belonging. Because here's the craziest part. You can track 
company stock value, employee sick days, and its profitability down to the level of oxytocin in people's bloodstreams, meaning that chemical that's released when you feel a connection. If we want to be successful at anything, it's probably going to be a byproduct of our relationships. Got it. So let's let's go deeper on the book. I mean, because it's it seems like a lot of the work you've you've done up to now. Um, and is this your first book, second book? Oh, this is my second book. The first book was absolute insanity. It was about the science of living an adventurous life. Okay. I almost die a few times throughout. It's I battle Kiefer Sutherland and drunken Jenga. I within ten seconds of meeting the woman behind the counter at duty free at Stockholm Airport, she decides to quit her job and travel with me. Whoa. Wait, so, so wait, you, you hung out with Jack Bauer? Uh, a very, several times, a very, very, <laughs> very drunk Jack Bauer. That's freaking uh, awesome. Well, let's talk about the current book right now. Okay, so what are some of the key takeaways from the book? And we all know how much work, oh, we don't actually all know. You and I know how much work goes into a book. Why, oh my God, why yeah. put yourself through it again? <laughs> so there's really only two or three reasons to write a book. One is you have this incredible need to share something of yourself with the world. The second is that you are single and you're hoping it'll impress somebody who you like. And the third is to make your 80-year-old mother proud of you when you hit the New York Times list. Like in this case, I'd say it's a combination of one and three, which is that over the past 12 years, I've, I've developed an expertise and understanding around human connection. And it seems that we've really reached this point that we need to get back to basics. And there's a lot of fundamental misunderstandings about how human beings connect or build trust. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been to a business dinner where people took you out, tried to impress you and took you for like a really nice meal? Yep. Okay. And have you ever been to an event or a party where they give you a swag bag? Yep. Okay. What do you do with the swag bag? Throw it away. Exactly. And most of the time, do people really enjoy these business dinners? No. No, most of the time they don't. Maybe you do because you've got a great personality and you can carry a conversation. Oh, I thank you. But overwhelmingly, no. And that means that we're trying to build trust through these experiences that don't actually help. If I'm throwing out that gift bag, I'm devaluing the relationship. So it raises the question, what actually causes us to build trust in a meaningful way? And it turns out it's the exact opposite. And what I mean by that is something called the Ikea effect. The Ikea effect states that we disproportionately care about our Ikea furniture because we had to assemble it. Now, that might sound weird, but it turns out that anything we put effort into, we care about more. I'm not going to say you like it. I'm just going to say you care about it more. It's why people care about their kids and not other people's kids. And so this means that our objective shouldn't be to win people over with gifts and niceties, what we want to do is find ways to get them to invest effort into us and our relationship. It's why at my dinners, we have people cook together because it causes a shared investment of effort. And in the process, they care more about each other. So next time you want to connect with people, instead of offering to take them to an expensive dinner, I recommend, as we talked about earlier, find something novel that stands out preferably something that requires joint effort. It could be anything from a hike to a board game night to, I don't know, an arts and crafts class where you can paint together. But whatever it is, find opportunities for shared effort. Got it. I love that. And so is the book 
about, I mean, I, I can see I, there's a lot of people that love tactics, right? So is the book fundamentally about frameworks? Is it more about kind of the, the strategic side of it, kind of the, the high level side on how to get you to think differently about how to do these yeah. types of events? So first and foremost, the book is about you actually being able to apply the ideas, right? Because Malcolm Gladwell is a brilliant writer. He wrote the book Tipping Point. But when you get to the end of Tipping Point, you don't really know how to trigger a tipping point. By the end of my book, you will have been pumped full of enough science and stories and ideas and examples. And there is a guide there so that you can understand what your ideal way to connect with people is. Because let's be honest, if you are wildly introverted and don't like large groups of people, you should not be doing the things that I do. You need to find that thing that's right for you. When most of the time there's this complete misconception about how to meet people. Everybody says, go to a networking event. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to a networking event? Yeah, really early in my career. And I said, never again. Yeah, exactly. The subconscious association to networking is dirty. You feel the need to wash because it's not natural. Do you know what is natural? Making friends. Mm -hmm. So my objective is to figure out a way in the book or to guide you through a way to help you connect with whoever it is that could have the biggest impact on your career, your health, your family, your social cause, whatever it is in a deep and meaningful way, because nobody needs more networking, but we need our relationships that have a positive impact on people's lives. And so that's the focus of the book. But here's the important thing. It turns out that I could pump you full of a thousand facts and chances are you won't really remember them. But what I did was I went out and tried to find incredible stories that people haven't heard before. Stories that really stand out as novel and different so that the lessons are remembered from stories because human beings are fundamentally wired for stories. And so it's this wild combination of fun stories like the wildest art heist in history to the origins of, the, of Comic-Con to the history of the abolitionist movement, but stories that most people don't know and haven't been told in pop science or self-help books before. As a result, you'll remember them much better and the lessons are easier to apply. Cool. So I, I want to give people like a sneak peek. So if you can give an example of a story, just so people understand that they should pick up this book, what's one that you want to throw out there? Oh, wow. Okay. So in 1911, a workman walked into the Louvre, the National Museum of France, in a workman's smock, just walked in and nobody noticed because on Mondays was their like cleanup day. It was closed and only 11 guards protected the largest building in the world with over a thousand rooms. He walks into the Renaissance section. Once in there, finds the smallest painting he can. It's just a small painting under a much larger painting among a collection, rips it off the wall, wraps his smock around it, walks out. 48 hours later, people notice the painting is missing. And newspapers around the world publish the story about the essentially incompetence of the French government to protect the art. The painting becomes an immediate, goes virally immediately. And in fact, thousands of people stood in line just to see the empty spot that it once hung. Now, it took another three years till the painting resurfaced. And when it did, once again, the story went viral and countries around the world published front page headlines about it. And when it was finally returned, it wasn't put back into that obscure place. 
but because of all the attention it got, it was given its own space. And that's the only reason you know the Mona Lisa. Wow. It's not because it's a great painting. It was painted, I think, in 1508. It wasn't until the mid-1800s that anybody even noticed it as a good example of Renaissance art. The only reason you care about the Mona Lisa is something called the mere exposure effect, which is the more we are exposed to something, the more we tend to like and trust it. And so as a byproduct, anything we have more exposure to, we tend to like more. So one thing that's really important is that the contacts that you really want to have that are important, it's important to show up on their radar. It's important that your product appears in critical places so that they're aware of it because they'll tend to like it more. It's like that initials example. The initials you're most familiar with are your own. So of course, you're going to find them more appealing and more attractive. Mm. It's this mere exposure effect at play. So the book explores a lot about the mechanics of human behavior and how to apply it so that we can actually impact decision-making and success and all these other things. Wow. That is freaking incredible. So, but this is kind of in play right now, right? Like people that listen to you, mere exposure on this podcast or any yes. podcast at all, boom, right? So you're all going to love me, listeners. You hear that? But Keep see, like, exposed to my ideas. It, it makes all the sense in the world. It, even if you look up like Clubhouse, just listening to you and, and talk about dinners, I was like, yeah, I, I got it. I, for, I forgot. I got to get John back on, right? I can tell you about like, and we can talk about this, this afterwards, but we did a Clubhouse book launch room and a bunch of people bought books. And I, like, I didn't expect anything to happen from that room, right? So we, we got to talk about that after so you can get more, more book sales that way. I'm just curious. I mean, you, you know, with your, with your job, I mean, you studied a lot, you've read a lot of books. I'm just, I'm curious, like for someone like me that just wants to get my beak wet and just kind of understand more about mere exposure, like definitely get your book, right? That's one piece of it. Mm -hmm. But what else are you reading to kind of feed like your, you know, your, your knowledge around this stuff? Oh, wow. I read a ton on different topics. Like literally the book I'm currently reading is about the origins of U.S. naval military all the way through to historical things on Broadway. I believe in having incredibly diverse knowledge. So I'm reading a book right now on, or listening to an audible about Wim Hof. Do you know Wim Hof? Yeah. He's the Iceman. I read a book called Breathe, which I thought was phenomenal. It's about our relationship to our breathing and how our facial structure has changed and how that's changed our ability to breathe. As a result, I hired a level three Wim Hof instructor to train me. And so I'm reading this book in the process. And for those of you who don't know, Wim Hof is known as the Iceman. He is one of these completely insane human beings who likes to push the limits of human potential and figured out a way to use breath work to have the body heat up under very cold circumstances. So you'll go for a 10-minute swim in zero-degree rivers that are running and be completely fine when you get out. All Didn't because he hike up work. Everest with none of the required stuff you should be using, like the, the, the tanks and all oh, that? Yeah, it's something like that. I'm, I don't remember the details, but yeah. he's he's hiked up like very high peaks in the world, just in like sandals and shorts. He's not much one Got for it. clothes, apparently. Yeah, no, it, it's nuts. I, I don't know if you were at Summit at Sea the last time they did it on the boat, but like everyone crowded around, like it was like full house. It was nuts. So I, I do want to talk about breath work real quick because... I've been trying to fix my, this is a selfish question. I've been using my mouth to breathe, which is bad, right? Like yeah, when I go to bed, I, I put tape on my mouth so that it forces my nose, nose to breathe. And I, I get, a, I get more REM sleep that way. What has breath work done for you? And I also want to know, like, what's the difference between level one and level three in terms of like a breath instructor? Oh, I, I'll be honest. Uh, it's, I'm not the expert uh, on that. If you want, I'm more than happy to introduce you to 
That'd be great. <laughs> breathing coach. I think he's one of the people that works directly with Wim and is a representative of the Wim Hof breathing method, as opposed to somebody who's trained in the methodology. So I'm also a mouth taper because when I sleep, I'm a mouth breather. And that's been a game changer. I sleep much better throughout the night. I also started using a breath mask, which makes it very difficult to inhale and exhale. The benefit of that is I wear it while I'm doing exercise, which causes CO2 buildup in my lungs. And CO2 actually allows for dilations of your veins and arteries, which means that blood flow essentially functions better. But most of us get really uncomfortable with it. And so it's kind of a way to train my body to understand that it's really safe and it's okay while strengthening my diaphragm so I could breathe more deeply. And that's been really, really a kind of a, a tough experience and a game changer. And then finally, I coincidentally had to read the audible or not the audible, the audio recording for my book. And I ended up on Clubhouse with this guy, Love, who's one of the top voice experts. And one of the things he emphasized was always inhale through your nose and pause to take deep breaths throughout. Because what was happening to me was when I was recording, I would inhale through my mouth, which would dehydrate me. When we inhale through our nose, moisture is added to the air, which lets us function much more effectively. And so after speaking for four days while recording a book, I would lose my voice. And by the end of this time, I was completely fine. Although I'm reading an audible, as you know, is a really long process, yep. like 20 hours of speaking. Jeez. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I'm going to be doing that soon. So thanks for telling me. <laughs> but so I'm looking at Amazon right now. The, the breathing mask you're talking about is it's it's like a sub-zero type of mask, right? You look like. Yeah, you look like, yeah, 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 exactly. And there's better ones and worse ones. So before you order, let me introduce you to my coach and he'll tell you which ones yeah. are the best ones, especially if you have a beard or what'll happen is if it slides down, it'll block your nose and you don't want that happening when you're already have limited air coming in. Got it. Okay, cool. Why don't we work towards wrapping up? So John, what is the best way for people to find your book and also to find you? Well, my book is called You're Invited, uh, The Art and Science of Cultivating Influence. Amusingly, there's a young girl's book series called You're Invited about sleepovers. It's not that one. You will be very disappointed if you buy that expecting to hear my voice. And you can get it, my book anywhere, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Amazon. There's a audio version of it that will be available through all the audio platforms. If you want to get a hold of me, you can either go to my website, John Levy, TLB, J-O-N-L-E-V-Y, T like Thomas, L like Lion, B like boy.com, or you could go to yourinvited.info, Y-O-U-R-E, invited.info. I love it, John. And, this has been amazing. Go ahead. Oh, and there's tons of games and activities on there that you can do with your friends to help bring people together and tons of more materials from the book. So appreciate it. Well, we, we got to do this more um, or another one at least, but thanks so much for, for joining and everyone make sure you pick up You're Invited. Thanks so much for having me. This was super fun. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. 
That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.